God, praise God. I'm going to let you be seated. We're thankful that all of you are here. If you're guests here tonight, we welcome you. Thank you for coming to worship with us. And 100% of the time, if you come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, we're going to have praise and worship. And the man of God's going to come preach. And we have never done what we're going to do tonight. And this is not a new format. We're not trying to be like anybody else out there. We're not trying to copy anybody. Um, but the last several days, the Lord has been dealing with me about this conversation that we're going to have tonight. And we want to intentionally relay to you some things that, that we think are imperative for us as individuals and collectively as a body and family, the family of God, the church of God, multi-congregations, one church, multiple congregations. And this is really, really important. The things that will happen in the end time have been prophesied about. We don't exactly know how that is going to play out, what it's going to look like, when it's going to happen. We don't know what the reaction is going to be, but we do know that we have been through uh, some pretty troublesome times in the last year and a half, 16 months or so. And what we learn in that season is that we have to be ready for anything. And that starts with me as an individual. I have, I have to be ready and prepared for what's coming next. And that's not just me, that's you. That's all of us, individually and collectively. We have to think on our feet, and we have to be ready for the unknown. And so this, this here tonight, we're not turning the sanctuary into a living room, and we're not, we're not just trying to be funny or fancy or cool or hip or nothing like that. And uh, I'm sure somebody will come in and the middle of the live stream and see us sitting here and say, oh, well, they, there they go. They're, they've gone to pot. <laughs> they've lost it. No, we're, we're still absolutely 100% head to toe, front row to back row, platform to media booth, holy apostolic. 100%. 100%. And so in prayer this week, um, I kept feeling this coming on, and I didn't know exactly how it was going to play out. And myself and Brother Clark had a meeting with um, someone Friday, uh, you know, about something that has kind of circled back around, and and we had some conversation there. And that's irrelevant for tonight's service. But after that meeting, Brother Clark and I started talking, and I shared a few things with him, and then he shared a few things with me. And then I realized that that the ball was kind of already turning and moving in this in this direction. And so I, I'm thankful for our our senior leadership team, uh, Pastor Jackson, Brother B.K. Nichols, and Brother Brett Clark. These are these are men of great wisdom and prayer and sacrifice and they they live eat and breathe the kingdom of god kingdom work and um even though brother 
Clark is uh, bivocational, and um, but it, but he loves it, and he is a he's a servant, and he is a very smart individual, and says some very profound things, and so I, I'm going to ask them to come and and join me over here if you give them a a good hand if you appreciate their leadership. We've got greater leadership. We've got great leadership. And you you may be seated. We are we are going to talk about some things tonight. Now we didn't we didn't rehearse this. Uh, we this is not scripted. Uh, but neither is it not without great thought and prayer. And we were in here till late last night as a unit, um, praying together and seeking the face of God and the will of God. And so we do have some points um, that we are going to talk about here tonight. And it's not, I don't want this to come across as a novelty. And I don't want this to come across as if we're just trying to have a conversation to, to test the waters on something new. This method that we're using here tonight has nothing to do with the purpose of what we're what we're doing here tonight. Um, Twenty years ago, the Lord brought my family and I to to New Albany. We never saw it coming, and it has it has been a challenge through the years. And there have been some tremendous high points. There have been some low points, and there have been some great victories, and there have been times when the storm was mighty and rough, and the waves were uh, beating against the church, and the enemy was doing everything he could. But out of every season has come a new level of maturity, new level of growth, numerically, financially, um, spiritually mature, emotionally mature. And we have been very blessed to see happen the things that we have seen happen on every, on every campus. And that is because not only these men, but many of the great leaders um, that were here 20 years ago and those that have joined us since and those that the Lord is, is raising up. I have a vision to see every person, every person, young and old and in between that calls greater faith their church to find their purpose and to be involved in their ministry and to be giving their full passion and their full attention to the kingdom of God. I have that vision. Some would say it's impossible, but I don't believe that it is. People just have to make up in their mind that I matter to the kingdom of God, that I'm important to the kingdom of God, and that I have a tremendous amount of value to bring to the kingdom of God. And so we want to we talk about some of that tonight. One of the things that I'd like to uh, focus our attention on first is transition. Transition is a part of everything we do in life. 
individuals have transitions from age, uh, transitions to marriage, to bearing children, to careers, education. Uh, and because of that, obviously, the church goes through transition. God takes people through transition. Even though the children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they, they did not wander in the same spot. God intentionally moved them so that eventually the process could play out and they could get to where the Lord was trying to take them and so that they would not get comfortable where they are. And people deal with transition uh, differently. And sometimes it's very difficult. There's a saying that says many things or a lot of things are lost in translation. When you're translating from one language to another, but many things are lost in transition. And when there's a lull, when there's something tapers off, and we're waiting for that new season to stop or start, there tends to be a digression. People disconnect. They don't pray like they used to pray. They don't give the way they used to give. And they don't participate. It's like they're waiting in limbo. They're waiting for the next thing to happen. And so because of that, if that's the way we react, then we become a church that only does the will of God when we're excited about what's happening. So we have to make every transition appropriately. And if we're transitioning, that means that things will not stay the same. Things will not stay the same. There are churches around the world, and I'll just say this and get off of it, but there are churches around the world that are very happy with the same people being in the same position for the next 40 years, and and then they wonder why they don't grow. There's no fresh fresh blood. There's no fresh vision. There's, There's no fresh direction. There's no transition. There's no movement forward. And we don't, we don't ever want to be like that. We, we want to do the will of God in every season and be careful and mindful to, to listen and for what the Lord is saying and to behave the way we're supposed to behave so that we can get into that, into that next place. And then the second thing is we want, we want every member I'm just giving you some preliminary things here, and then, and then we're going to let some other people chime in here. But we want every person to lock in. We want you to lock in. We want you to absolutely find your niche and give it everything you've got. Sometimes giving it everything you've got at 60 may not be the same as giving it everything you've got at 20. But that doesn't mean you still don't give it everything that you've got and give it your best. And so I believe it's possible. I believe God has called every person. When, when I was young, a teenager, and I'm sure they could testify to this as well, and I, and I was not in ministry. I did not have a podium, a pulpit, um, uh, an avenue, an outflow. I, I didn't have somewhere for my passion to flow I wasn't going to be satisfied until I did and I don't understand the mentality of some and I'm not necessarily saying here but just anywhere I don't understand the the mentality of some that say I'm going to just chill until somebody appoints me to do something ministry is a pursuit servitude is a pursuit 
It's this raw passion that says, if I don't do anything right in this world, I am going to do something that is going to impact deeply the kingdom of God. Am I making sense here tonight? And so you have to, you have to make your mind up, I'm going to lock in. I'm going to lock in. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present. I'm going to give it everything I got. When I come to church, I'm going to leave it out on the field. I'm, when, I'm, when I'm in the workplace, I'm looking for somebody to minister to, to encourage, to speak to somebody. I'm looking for a soul to reach. I'm looking for somebody to be a witness to. And in order to be successful at that, you have to be, you have to be locked in. And then, of course, we, we have committed in our conversations to focus more on training people. Training people. We want to train more people. And we want people to want to be trained. We want people to say, yeah, you're talking to me if you'll help me. Now, we can't do it one-on-one, but we can find methods and, and systems and, and forums to get people trained. But in order to be successful at that, we have to get people, we have to get people locked in. And so th- those are some of the things that we want to have on your mind as we're going through this tonight. Transition and being locked in and training. I want to be trained and I want to turn around and train somebody to do what I'm doing. I don't want to be selfish with what I know to do in the kingdom of God. I want to find somebody that's passionate about what I'm passionate about and I want to return the favor to them and I want to train I want to train them. Uh, Friday uh, Brother Clark, as I mentioned, we had finished this meeting up, and he and I were were out in the in the parking lot of the facility there, and um, and he started talking to me about some studies he had been doing in in Ezra and Nehemiah, and and um, and then about Zerubbabel and Esther, and all of that, and I think even before I preached the message a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, on Five Kings later, we've kind of been on this theme lately. And, uh, Bill Clark, I just want you to take, you know, a little bit of time here and share some of the things that you shared with me in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, know, you and I were talking that day, and, and like I explained, and then you just recapped, you know, that, you know, I've really been studying this, and I'm sure it happens to all, all of us. We get locked in on something, and, and in that particular, um, you know, study around Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, you know, I'm always trying to look at the, what you've always taught us is the context is everything. And the thing with that story that jumped out at me is that you know, we, we tend to look at things, you know, chronologically. We, what we were talking about in that conversation was around how we accomplish all these things that we're wanting to accomplish, that God wants us to accomplish at this, at this, this same time. And, and God's been taking me on this journey how... We look at story A, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Esther happens, you know, uh, between all that. And then Nehemiah is very chronological, laid out like this. Left to right, top to bottom, this is how we read. And where all those things really are a lot more layered, a lot more layered than what, than what we give, you know, um, you know, the Bible even credit for perhaps. And so Nehemiah... While he was alive, you also have, you know, Ezra was still alive during some of that time. You have, um, you know, different um, minor prophets 
that were around during that time. So all these things were occurring at the same time. And so it just in thinking through Nehemiah and particularly, here we have this guy who is really much of a nobody, but doesn't really have a whole lot of family, heritage, all the kind of stuff that the Bible lays out. But anyway, he has this moment where he is, families visit him. And he says, hey, how are things going with the, the rebuilding of, of Jerusalem and rebuilding of the temple? And he's asking specifically about Ezra, about what Ezra's work. And he finds that it's not going very well. And he's so moved by this that when we pick up in chapter 2, the king realizes how upset he is and asks him, well, what's going on? Why are you this upset? And I think what we miss sometimes in that transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2 is that it's been four months later. It's been four months at least, and he is still this upset about this. And I just said you know, to you in that conversation that so many times we get things that prick our hearts and on a Sunday message, and by Tuesday we've moved on just to the next week. Uh, but here's Nehemiah who is four months later just upset about all of this stuff. And so the king says, well, what can I do to help? And the Bible says it's somewhere in chapter 2, verse 4 or 5, somewhere around there, that he prays to the king. He prays, and then he says to the king, if it pleases you, send me. That's his first of three requests that he makes there. And I'll, I'll mention just his first request, and I'll jump off of, off of this. I think it's the most telling one. He says, if it pleases you, send me to Jerusalem. I'm your cupbearer, but really my heart's not in this. I've got to get back to Jerusalem. I've got to get there and do this work. And what I said to you in that conversation, what we've been talking about the last couple of days, is that Nehemiah, to me, you know, really had such a desire. And it's the difference between, you know, willing versus wanting. And so many of us are willing to do the things around here. I mean, if, if a service is called, we show up for it. Prayer meeting is called, we're here for it. All that thing. But what God's been personally dealing with me about is, you know, I need to move you from things that you're willing to do to have this a wanting to do things. This desire that becomes someone who's willing to do something. I mean, they're willing to do it, but they're also willing not to do it. You know? And that's, and they, and that's where we got to, you know, my, myself personally, I can only speak for myself, that I want to get beyond that. Where, you know, where I want to make sure that I'm, that this, this isn't that driving force. I think if the king had told Nehemiah where well, you can't go, I mean, he, he probably would have, the brothers would have snuck out in the middle of the night and gone done anyway. I mean, he would have risked everything to get there. And that is the difference between someone who's willing to do something versus somebody who's wanting to do something. And that was that driving that very first request of his that he made to the king. And I think that is an attitude that here we are, you know, here they were 70 years towards the tail end of that prophecy. Jeremiah, all those folks had prophesied that they were for sure coming out of captivity. It was going to happen. But it took somebody who was so distraught. No, you know, I, I think I said to you, you know, there's, there's no prophecy about his birth. There's no angelic visit to him while he's hiding behind some, you know, some tree or anything like that. None of that happens to him. You know, no oil is poured on his head, nothing. He just saw something and said, I, I can't live with this being that way. And I'm going to risk everything. It, it must not have, it had to have been hard yeah. for him to say to the king, I, I, I got I to gotta quit my job, man. I got to, you, you got to let me go and take care of this. Yeah. And so that's, that's, was kind of that driving that very first thing there yeah. with that. And I want, I want Pastor Jackson and BK to, to jump in here, but think about 
think about if if the whole your holy city think about if your church had been wiped out 70 years beforehand no church no worship how can we sing this the lord's song in a strange land nobody appointed nehemiah to do anything nobody came to him and said okay this is your position now you're the wall builder but he wanted to see restoration come we should never have to get to the place where we lose everything to appreciate it and so everybody here tonight will have to decide are you a willing vessel are you someone who wants to see the kingdom of heaven progress? That's taking personal responsibility. That's saying, I, I, don't, I don't need somebody to appoint me. I don't, I don't need the world's attention. I need to see progress toward, toward restoration. Toward restoration. And just, just briefly before these men chime in, would you, you mentioned about we see it linear, linearly. Is that the right? Linear. Linear. We see it linear. 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 I'm going to start telling dad jokes here in a minute to get your mind off of that. But instead of that, and you, you may have mentioned it briefly, but would you just emphasize a little bit more about that, about that overlap of progress and all the things that were happening simultaneously yeah, so and what that means to us? So, again, you know, all this is layered. Right, so um, originally in the Jewish text, when the Jews would get together, they would in the synagogue and on the Sabbath they would read the scrolls. Right, we read about that in the Bible in the days of Jesus. You know, they'd have the scrolls, they would roll it out. So originally, the uh, the stories of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah were all one scroll. To and, until it's not until around 200 or 300 A.D. Not, I mean, for all those years, hundreds of years, that whole story was just one book. Um, we're back, everybody. So it was all just one story for them. The Jews didn't see this thing as, as you, know, you know, chapters and verses, right? We added those later, right? Make it easy for us because we're short attention span people. And so, you know, for them, this was all one continual story all happened at the same time that, you know, Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel was alive. He started his first, his first journey of people back. And actually between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7, the whole book of Esther occurs between those two chapters. And, and I don't know if I even, I'm like, I'm late to the party on this. I don't know if I even really realized that until starting to do this study. Like, oh. So, you know, that's when that story occurs between those two things. And then it picks back up in Ezra chapter 7. And you have Ezra. You have, um, and of course, the, the, the prophets are, are skipping my head right now. Their names, Haggai and Zechariah, are during Zerubbabel's time. And then Malachi is during uh, the times of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so even though those books, Ezra and Nehemiah, and Esther, they occur 
in our in our Bibles before the book of Psalm, these are really the the end of the of the Old Testament. This is what happens at the end of the Old Testament. And those three minor prophets are alive during those three books. And I think it's just important for us to realize that you know what God is doing in your life, it's it's not like God can only work in one campus. And when he's done working in this campus, then he's going to go start working in the main campus. And then when he's done working in that campus, then he's going to work in your family's life. When he's done working over there, he's going to work in this section over here. And then he's going to stop working over this and start bringing people in. God does all this stuff at the same time. But because we've put chapters and verses on this, we have a tendency to lock ourselves in and think of more things like we're binge-watching episodes on something and we're just locked into this little section and then we have to wait till that's over when God's got six billion screens that he's watching of our lives and he can operate every one of them at the same time. Which is hard for us to understand, but that's why he's God and why we're just four preachers on the platform. Yeah. Um, I like how you said that, you know, he had such a want to, to, go to that place that meant so much to him because I think about this season where a couple of our campuses have been I wouldn't say misplaced because I believe we have been in the perfect will of God but not losing the want to to be where you know that God ultimately has planted you and in what field that you're meant to be in I can remember a time a couple years ago when we asked Louisville Central, when we didn't have a building for a short time, do you want to just become a part of the main campus? Do you want to become a part of this campus? And it was 100% no, even though it was just a small group because they had a burden for where they were at and where God had planted them. And I, I think it's important for us to keep that vision of 50 congregations in front of us where we don't just get trapped into things are going good here. They're going good there. And we kind of lose sight of the fact that God is wanting to put us all over the place, not just back where we've been, but in new areas and so that people have that hunger and they don't get, I think sometimes people are at a campus and they're looking at the ministry positions and they're saying, well, we're, we're full up. There's not really a need there. They have everything that they need. And so they maybe are not preparing because they just feel like I'm just on the bench. This starter is not going anywhere. People don't get injured in the kingdom of God. You know, it's not like I've got to stay ready because he may be out for a couple months. But you never know when God wants to plant that next campus. And so people have to be walking with God and saying, what, what is my calling? What do I have a burden for? And preparing for that and saying, I'm here now, but there is a want to in me to be that to step into that and to be preparing to get to that place. Exactly. I, I was listening and, and the point when he made that the cupbearer 
And in some people's vision, the cupbearer seems like a lowly job. Nothing really intense about that. However, he was positioned. He had the ability to be next to the king. You understand? So, so he could, which also gave him a place of comfort. And so willing to go and look and come back to comfort is one thing. But wanting to be a difference will cause you to say, I know what I have now. But this isn't necessarily what God has for me. And so I see the calling of God and I'm going to go after it versus just sit here and relax where I am. To your point, they've got enough. No, there's never enough. There's never enough until this world is one. We can never become comfortable. We can never just sit there and say somebody else has it. We have to make sure that we do what God has called us to do on every campus. Until this whole city, until this whole world is one, we cannot get comfortable just being what we are. So I think one of the most powerful uh, things about the overlapping uh, principle, about things happening simultaneously that he brought out, is when you think about it, you know, we, we, think, we think that one campus at a time has to be started. Right. One campus at a time. But when God gets ready, yeah. he, he can overlap yeah. and two, three, four, five campuses. Yeah can start at one time. But you can't do that with people that are just willing. You, you, you have to have every person in the building has to say, I want to see this happen. I want to see this. I, I want to see revival explode. I want, I want to see these campuses started. And, you know, it's not, not just one campus ministry. But it's campus ministries on both sides of the river. Right. And, and, and not one at a time. And so that is the power of the multi-campus, multi-congregational concept. Is that it creates a leadership combine. It opens a, a flow and an avenue for people to get involved. But there's no need for things to open up if there's people that are okay Coming to church and saying, I'm, I'm just a worshiper. I, I just want to go to heaven and that's it. We have to have people get locked in. Locked in. Is that right? Brother Clark, you, you mentioned something about uh, Haggai and Zechariah. They were there to encourage and prophesy to Nehemiah and Zerubbabel as the wall and the temple were being rebuilt and then Ezra was restoring the law. And I think you mentioned that it was a hundred year uh, period of time that, that all of that took place. That's a lot of prophesying. That's a lot of encouragement. We only have a few chapters in Haggai and Zechariah, but no doubt behind the scenes, it was a constant flow of that prophetic encouragement. But there was another source that God used to prod the people along. Would you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, because it's the, the thing that we all love the most is, is agitation. <laughs> it's things not working out, people complaining, people um, 
prodding, you know, and, and poking at the people of God. But it's, it's what was necessary because even when you look at it and, and you look at that story, they, they had an opportunity. Now, again, you know, it's the prophetic word that had already come from all the great prophets that this was going to happen. But as you, as you often said, that the prophetic word, that's the intentions of God. Some, we still have to fulfill that prophetic word. And so God constantly sent people to agitate the people of God in order to keep them churning and moving towards the fulfillment of that prophecy. Whether it was Samuel and all those folks who complained and, and rose up against it, whether it was when Nehemiah was having all that, he had people with um, you know, the materials in one hand and the sword in the other, people on the wall are worried about attacking, people getting attacked, so they're building with, you know, uh, their sword by their side and the tools in their hands. But all that was necessary because when they didn't have it, they, they went back. I, th I think it's in Zerubbabel, uh, his time, maybe, maybe it's Ezra's, I'm getting it mixed up in my head right now, where he, the, pro the, the prophet um, said to them, why, why are you working on, on your own houses? instead of working on the house of God. That was the state when they were left alone. And so God sends prophetic to give us direction. And then he sends agitation to, to, to not, so that we don't settle into a routine. Yeah. To prod us out of our, our comfort zone. So yeah. all those, those times we say, man, the devil's been attacking me. The devil won't leave me alone. The devil's frustrating me. We're just getting, we're just... We just, I mean, we're just on edge all the time. The devil's never our friend, but sometimes he's our asset. If he is provoking us to do the will of God, then, then he is our asset. If we believe the scripture, all things work together for the good of them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose, we have to believe the positive and the negative are there pushing us into the will of God. You, you don't have to worry about backsliding, about being destroyed, about your family being destroyed, about losing everything. You don't have to worry about all of that if you will lock in and if you will invest in the kingdom of God and if you will say, I am not going to let myself be distracted by all these agitations. Those are the very voices, those voices that say you can't, you won't, you will be destroyed. Those are the voices that I'm going to prove wrong because there's something inside of me that is greater than that. And so it's going to, it's going to move, it's going to move me forward. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to use, I'm going to use your thought on this or whatever, and I'm, I'm going to steal it. But he talked about the decree that he got from the king in the hands of, of Nehemiah and Nehemiah did not trust somebody else to carry that decree. He carried it himself. You can't trust somebody else to carry the king's decree for you. Right. That's him. Yeah. The Lord gave him that understanding. You can't, you've got to hold on to every promise and prophecy yeah. from the Lord. Yeah. And you've got to say, this is mine. I'm carrying it with me. And for every Sanballat and for every Tobiah and for every agitator out there and any wall of opposition that would rise up to say, 
I I'm not going to be able to rebuild. I'm not going to be able to construct this wall. I can't build this temple. I've got a decree from the king yeah. right here in my hand. Yeah. And the prophecy is going to come to pass. Yeah. Could you just give the Lord a good hand? Yeah. Pastor Jackson, we, we have um, trouble as human beings. We, we have something called emotions. They are <laughs> wildly deceptive. You can wake up and have the greatest day of your life and feel depressed and don't know why. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and emotions do like this. And they're, I mean, they're, they're all over the map. Sometimes it's physiological. Sometimes it is circumstantial. Sometimes it is the weather. Sometimes it is the season that you're in. But there's times when everything's going right and you have no reason to complain. You have no reason to feel depressed. But yet you do feel wildly discouraged, and we can't lead that way. So talk to us about that. Yes, sir. The major issue uh, that I find in, in the emotion is the emotions have the ability to drive. No matter what it is, it can drive you. It can drive you into depression. It can drive, it can drive you happy. It can drive you uh, uh, to cause you to be infatuated about something. It can, it can, it can drive you to hate things. The problem with that is, is that many times it outshouts the voice of God. So God is telling you, hey, I've got this for you. This is what you're going to be. These are my promises. But kind of like what we were talking about just a second ago, the situation doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Something that dropped in my spirit when you were talking just a minute ago, too, about uh, the decree. And you really haven't gotten to all of them. But one was about, about the wood. And the thing is, I mean, then we talked about the years it took for all this to take place and all that. But God had to build or allow a forest to grow before he could cut the wood, have the wood cut. Yeah. Now watch this. So our emotions say, I want it now. And if I don't get it now, I'm going to move over here and do what I want to do. Yeah. I don't want to wait. Why? Because we have a want, which I agree with the want piece. We've got a want and, and the will to do it. But the also... We, ought, we have to have the want to hear God's voice over our own because we're trying to get to a place where, number one, we're not ready to get to, but our emotions say we are. Right? Come on. Our emotions drive us to places that can wreck us. The thing to do, and what I find, is to get our mind yet stayed on Jesus because when we lock into him, have the same mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, when we do that, guess what? The emotions have to settle down. Real quick, watch this. If you don't believe emotions are strong, talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. In, when, just before his time to go, his emotions said, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm praying, I don't want to go. There's nothing about this I want to do. But all of a sudden, something began to speak out of him that was not the flesh, was not the carnal side. And that was the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God in him. And, and it stopped him midstream and said, uh-uh, that's not right. Not my will, but thy will be done. Well, I got to have it now. No, 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 no. Not my will, but thy will be done. Well, I need to get married now. No, 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 no. Not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah. 
Our emotions will lie to you. They will lie to you. Yeah, so you're talking about Pastor Jay, and, and, and one thing I, you know, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed a little bit on some of the things that we've talked about, you know, I mentioned that there were three requests that Nehemiah made. The first one, as we said, was, I, I've got to go. Can you please let me go? His second request was, that Bishop alluded to, was, I'm going to be traveling through these other areas. I need a letter from you, King, that keeps me safe as I travel. And that's the letter that he didn't send out ahead of him. He had it on his person. So that, and I, and I mentioned that in this context because when, if he met opposition, our emotions say, man, this is a bad deal. This is, a, this is a, where I'm coming up against opposition. He, they're going to try to stop me from getting to my destination. That's what, we, that's what we think emotionally. But now I have this piece of paper, this decree, and that's, that's what has to trump our emotions. That's why we cannot let go of this decree in our hand because this, this is what's established. You know, his, his word is what we are stand on, and that's what keeps us going, and that is what trumps our emotions. It is that word that says you are going to get to your destination, and I'm going to keep you safe. And then beyond all that, when you read on that story, when he goes, not only does he have a letter, but the king went beyond that. He actually sent horsemen and soldiers to go with him. So God will always give you more than what you ask for because he, trust me, he wants us to get where we're going way more than we even want to get there ourselves. And that's why we need the prophetic and the agitation in order to keep us going in that direction. So good. When I think about emotion, I think, too, a lot of times we can find that disappointment in transition when we are moving from one place to the next. You think about a mother as her kids get older and they begin to become their own adults. There is something in her that there's an emotion of I, I don't feel as valuable. They can struggle with feeling like they're still successful because what has been such a big part of them is now changing and they are moving from a sustaining role to just more of a supportive role. And so it's easy for them to feel like a failure and to feel useless and that emotion to be a negative thing instead of them realizing this is a time to feel successful, that this is the time to realize that I've done what I was supposed to do, and now this is forward progress. And I think in the kingdom of God, we have to be adaptable because a lot of times it's easy for our identity to get locked into a position. And so we do that for a while, and then God says there's a transition that's going to take place in your life. And it's easy, if you're not careful, to end those seasons of transition and start feeling like a failure and to feel less valuable when really that's the time to feel successful. I think about, you know, how Brother Bright has begun to empower the next generation and now Dedon, as you have affectionately nicknamed him, is leading the 
the band. He's over the musicians because Brother Bright realizes that there is a generation coming on that I want to make sure that there is a transition. He's not going anywhere, but his role is beginning to transition, becoming more of a teacher, more of a guide. He's now out front being able to lead worship more. And it would be easy for the enemy to begin to tell him people aren't respecting you as much, that D-Don's becoming the popular guy. He's, you know, on keys every service and people beginning to see his worth. But it's in this season that he should feel the most successful, realizing that I carried it until there could be some sort of, and again, he's not going anywhere, but it's empowering that next generation and being adaptable and not getting locked into this is who I am. And if this changes, I'm overcome with this emotion of who am I and what value do I hold? I think, too, sometimes there is short-term adaptability where you're a great example, Brother Clark. We had a need for somebody to run sound and to be over the technology side of things. And so you transitioned into that while still being platform ministry, but there was a lot of energy that you began to put toward that. And now there are people that have come up and you are transitioning back out of that. And it's that adaptability of what does God want me doing in this season that I can't get so locked into a certain lane that if God says, I want you in this lane, that I get all out of sorts and say, but I don't want to be in this lane in this season. But God says being apostolic is about being adaptable and about doing whatever he wants you to do in that season. So we all have to be adaptable. There are people that were on the praise team for a lot of years, and they transitioned. Sunday school, and they transitioned. The kingdom of God is, is a constant ebb and flow, and it's moving with the flow of God and realizing I just want to be in his perfect will and not let my emotions get tied to something that I feel like if that changes, I lose myself. You know, I, man, I, it's just like, it's so powerful. I think about the number of ministries, and I've been around for a little while, number of ministries I've seen age out because of the fear of being adaptable. When you were talking about Brother Bright, like I said, now Brother Bright, I knew when he was just starting, before there was a D done. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, and he matured into something far beyond what we even thought. And, you know, we knew he was good. We knew, you know, but he became something else. But the bigger piece is, is having the vision to understand, I'll take it to this place. And I understand that transitioning, it doesn't mean I've failed. What it really means is that I've passed the baton that the race can continue. It also doesn't mean that I retire. Let me speak to some people in here. Quickly understand this. I... I'm a firm believer that there are drivers and then there are co-pilots. Amen. And what I mean by that, you can drive as long as you can drive, but when it's time to get in the other seat, you can sit there and pull out the map book and say, wait a minute, brother, this is the way you go. And so it doesn't mean that you quit. 
You just transition into something different, but just as valuable. Just as valuable. And, and that is the big, I'm, brother, you don't know how many times I've seen praise teams fall apart because somebody doesn't want to give up the mic. Voice gone. <laughs> gone. You, you, you haven't been able to hit a note in, in 20 years, but yeah. you won't sit down. Yeah. And you've got a new singer that can blow, but you're going to sit them out, sit down right now. You haven't earned your way. Wait a minute. Listen. You sit there and you help coach them. You help love them. You develop them. Because we're not the church of just today. Come on. 50 campuses are not going to last just to 2021. And so we have to be willing. We have to be willing to say, hey, come on. I need more so I can go where God's taking me. I, I think one of the most adaptable people that I know is my wife. We, um, she, she went to college and her dad has lamented for a long time about all that wasted money. <laughs> <laughs> she got her RN, her bachelor's in nursing, and she did work two years. One year as a charge nurse in Baptist Hospital and a year as um, home health care. And then she married a poor boy to go into ministry. And because we had nothing, we had nothing, but she gave it all up. And it really wasn't 100% because of love for me. It was also for a love for us and a love for the kingdom of God. And we started traveling and neither one of us knew what we were getting into. And I was the one that was just locked. I'm just, you know, till Jesus comes. And when the winds changed directions, and I felt that thing turn off and didn't know what was next, transition. Listen to me. In that transition, I didn't pray less, I prayed more. Yeah. We didn't... We didn't kick our feet up and wait. We dug our feet in. And we bombarded the gates of hell. And we called on heaven. And we ended up here. We never saw this coming. But through the years and then, and then the transitions of this church and the transitions of our own responsibility in the church, I have watched her just pivot on a dime. Okay, that season's over. New season. If that season was bad, no regrets. If we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish in that season, we're not going to live in regret. We're not going to. It's over. The door's closed. That's done. Transition. We're moving on. She is one of the most adaptable people. And then, of course, childbearing and, and all of these things. And many of you can relate. I'm just using her as an example. But when you wrap your identity around a position, you're going to get lost. Absolutely. You're absolutely going to be disappointed in life because positions come and go. And the thing you need to understand is about your identity is that position will never lock up your identity unless you allow it to. I didn't change persons when I came here than when I was out there traveling. 
I just, the Lord allowed me to take and her what we had learned traveling and apply it to here. And then, you know, the transitions of this church and the addition of congregations, the changing of the vision, the ebb and the flow of, of God's plan and his program. We have to learn how to be agile. Are you listening? We have to learn how to be agile and quick on our feet. Now, I have a question to ask you. We're transitioning a little bit in the conversation. I have a question to ask you personally. When people look at you, do they say, I want to be like them? When they look at you, do they say, I want to be like them? Boy, it's quiet in here. The point of that question is, are you being everything that God wants you to be and everything that you have the potential to be so that everybody that God is trying to lead to you for you to have influence over their lives, are you being that person? Or are you causing people to be offended at the person that you are? And instead of God being able to use your influence to impact the kingdom, they're saying, I don't even want to be around them. You cannot, you cannot allow. We all have character flaws. Let's don't act like we don't. We do. You cannot allow your character flaws to become so enormous that your good is evil spoken of and that your reputation precedes you in a negative way and God can't use you in his kingdom. Soul winning. People. We have to invest in people. We have to be encouragers of people. We have to take responsibility for building people. So the question is, who are you influencing in a positive way? We, we, we don't get to just be around the people that, that we think are cool all the time. There's some people that need us, and some of those same people are going to absolutely grate on your nerves. But you have the ability... For God to flow through you with his anointing and disguise all of those character flaws until somebody says, I don't know what it is about that person, but they are so locked in and they are so passionate about the things of God. And when they trip and fall, they get up. When they make a mistake, they don't wallow in their, in their failure. They get up and they try again and they keep moving and they succeed even better the next time. So the question is, when people look at you, do they say, I want to be like them? That's an important statement because as we talk tonight, we are, we are talking about everybody's responsibility for soul winning, for encouraging people, for keeping unity in the body. Are you taking personal responsibility for keeping unity in the body? Are you building and establishing friendships or are you just seeing how many people that you can make mad? Are you willing to participate in revival praying or do you want to participate in revival praying? 
Are you willing to participate in the growth of the church or do you want to see this church grow? Are you willing to be a part of planting 46 more congregations or do you want to be a part of planting 46 congregations? Are you here tonight? This conversation tonight is, is about asking people to take personal responsibility. Now, I'm, I want us to talk about something here for just, just a little bit that I think is very important and vital. The moment that you cease to see this structure is the moment that you are blinded to the vision that God has given us. And it's this. Israel was one nation. She was one nation. But she had 12 tribes. And within those 12 tribes were families. And within those families were individuals. And so there's a four-tiered structure that we operate within around here. The nation. In our language, that's the church. The tribes. Now, it's, we can talk about tribes as well. I'd like Pastor Jackson to chime, chime in on that. Those, for us, tribes, congregations. One nation, multiple congregations. Within those congregations are families and then individuals. So individuals have to take personal responsibility to, for their responsibility to the family, to the tribe, to the nation, to the family, to the congregation, and to the church. Those are the four levels. We operate on that. No tribe is more important than any other tribe. And the tribes don't have congregation or competition within themselves. The tribes don't compete with one another. The congregations don't compete one another. And there is only one culture in Israel. There's only one. And that culture is the law, the institution of the commandments and the precepts of God. And so we lose our individual identity the further we go up those tiers until we are accomplishing the responsibilities of the family that don't contradict the responsibilities of the tribe that don't contradict the responsibilities of the nation. We have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, to grow, to, to grow personally, to have a personal ministry. We have responsibilities to make sure our families are, are living for God and going to heaven. We have a responsibility to our individual congregation, Maine, LC, Hope, and Jeff. We have our individual responsibilities to that. But when we come together, we don't leave the other responsibilities behind, but those things lend itself to the responsibility of the entire church. Exactly. Uh, Bishop was talking about the four different areas. However, in the when you break it down, originally each person is of his own culture. What I mean by that, simply saying that that person thinks the way they think, is used to being doing the way things they've always done it by what they've been around. The other part is, the second one is the family, same thing, families do certain things. You eat 
certain foods that this family doesn't. You celebrate certain things that this family doesn't. But then when we get to the tribes, and I think that's the one, uh, tribes are a group of people of like mind that do things a certain way. Um, now, unfortunately, in uh, modern times, modern times, the mindset of tribes has been eradicated and now it's been replaced with race. Where race makes you divided, not by culture for real, but by complexion. And, uh, and so it is kind of a, a, a negative mindset. However, the tribe was still yet, as he said, is still yet under the same umbrella. So a tribe may, may do things a little bit different. We can go to each one of the campuses, and the services are going to have a little different flavor. Amen. It's, you know, just because of the culture of that particular congregation. All right, that's just going to happen. That's, that's, that's uh, generic. There's nothing you can do about it. It just happens. Amen. Location is part of it. Who's there? Who's pastoring? All that makes a difference. But when, as Bishop said, but when we come together, all right, when we come to like tonight, we don't come together saying, this is Hope, this is LC, this is Jeff, this is main campus. We come together and say, we're the church. We come together, and if, if you want to say greater faith, that's fine. We come together saying that we're one. Why? Because we are not fighting amongst each other. And the dangers of things is, now here, this goes back to something that was mentioned earlier. The danger is comparing ourselves among ourselves, yeah. looking at one campus and saying, look at here, they've got this and I don't have that. So Bishop loves them more. You see what I'm saying? Or whatever it could be. Whatever it could be, we can't allow that to happen because please understand that while when we were buying a building, you understand? When we were buying our building, they were rocking. Please understand that. I'm looking at them, man, y'all running 200 strong. I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? And we out here trying to struggle, but then things change. And it's not about the numbers. It's about the timing of God. Each tribe can never outweigh are become greater than the other. The world wants to do that. That's called division. And watch this. A house divided cannot stand. Cannot stand. So it, it, please understand me when I say this. Now, most people don't get it. I'm black. Bone black, die black, I'm black. You know what I'm saying? This is what I am. I'm happy about that. I'm not mad about that, and I'm, I don't take anything away from that. Now, the other side, I'm 50-50, so the other side is white. So guess what? I can say I'm white, too. <laughs> you understand? But culturally, I was brought up African-American. But guess what? That, but all of that, there's something that happened oh, almost 40 years ago. The old man passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And behold, all things became new. And so my tribe still might look a certain way. We might dance a certain way. But when we come together, y'all hearing what I'm saying? Don't let this world tell you that you have to be racist, that you have to divide down a racial line. Are you a sellout? 
Baby, I sold out a long time ago. And it wasn't to a man, it was to Jesus. So please understand that in this house. Oh, man. We're not going to, trust me, you get to heaven, you're going to be messed up. Thinking it's going to be all one color. No, 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 you're going to be all messed up. And folk going to hell are going to be messed up too. How'd I get here? <laughs> exactly. Tribes. Historically, there was no race. There's one Adam, one Eve. There was no race. That's the devil. That's the devil. Hey Amen. We're the human race. <laughs> Brother Clark. All right, so powerful. I, Thank you, Pastor Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I think about the tribes that were, you know, and all and all that structure, um, not to be the, the the Debbie Downer of of the group, but we also want to make sure that we also realize that just because we belong to a certain tribe, that doesn't mean success is guaranteed for us. We still have to work at this. We have to play our part in it. I want to remind all of us that in the story that we've all kind of launched up with, with Nehemiah, they've been in exile for 70 years. And you have Zerubbabel, Esther, um, Ezra, and Nehemiah trying to bring them back. Four, you know, the, three people and Esther there in the middle. But not everybody who went into exile all made it back to Jerusalem. Right, and so th this is, if we're going to be a part of this, you cannot, just belonging to a campus, just sitting on a, on a pew underneath the men of God in, the, in this church, that, that doesn't guarantee success for you or for any of us, right? And so this is what this is about tonight, is about having that responsibility that if, if I'm going to get to where God is calling us, if I'm going to be a part of where God has taken us, I have got to contribute to the tribe. Time and time again, when Moses crossed over, not every, or when Joshua, when, when Joshua crossed over, not every tribe went over that time either. Just because you're a part of the nation doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get to go. You have got to be locked in and lockstep. And that is, time, throughout all this whole story of this, this is why God had to keep sending agitation. Zerubbabel should have, everyone should have left with him. They just should have left with him. When he went and took people back, they had permission to go back, and not everybody did. And this is the whole reason why Esther even exists, why that whole agitation happens to Esther, because they stayed back. Esther was one of them. She stayed back. And so God said, I have to send agitation to try to wipe out the entire Jewish nation and that whole story doesn't even happen if they just go back with Zerubbabel, which they had permission to do. And so when I look at our structure, I just wanted to chime in with that part of it is because whatever campus we're a part of, and we see all the successes, but I still have to have my, personal, my own personal revival as part of all of this, or else I, there's no guarantee. The will of God is not a conveyor belt. It's a Lego set. We've got to keep working on it and building on it. And sometimes when you're partway through it, God makes you give your Lego set to another kid and let him keep working on it. That's what he did to David. David did all this, and God said, hey, by the way, you're not going to build a temple. That's to be for your son to do. And so all that is to say is that 
just because we're a part of this tribe and part of this great church, if we if you want to be a part of where God's taking us, you got to be a part of where God's taking us. Just real quick, uh, when I think about nation, tribe, family, person, I think about the power of one and how Achan, for example, he was just one person, but how he affected all the way up to the entire nation and affected his family, his decision. If you're a parent, your decision can make or break the future of your entire family. And even if you're not a parent, you can still be an Esau that makes a decision that affects what is coming on. But Achan, there's no telling what his family could have been and how they could have added, but because of a mistake that he made, just one person had such an impact. And then you think about Gideon, who said, I'm the least of my family, and my family is the least of Manasseh, and yet God said, no, I want to use you, and so no matter who you are, as Bishop said in the beginning, you matter, don't look at your family and say, my family feels like the least of my campus, and I feel like the least of my family. Know that God wants to use you powerfully to reach New Albany, to reach Jeff, to reach Louisville, to reach wherever else that he has taken us. And so that kind of takes us forward um, into these age brackets where no matter how young you are or how insignificant that you feel, you may feel you're the youngest or the least, that you still have an important part in this. Absolutely. Now, we're going to take a little time. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, so powerful. We're going to take some time here, and we're going to apply this throughout this whole congregation. These are some principles that we know, but we're trying to shore them up tonight to challenge every person in here, regardless of your age or how long you've been a part of the church to lock in and decide that you're going to do something great for the kingdom of God. If you're between the ages of 10 years old to 18, would you stand? 10 years old to 18. There's some in the back. So I want everybody to look around. You guys on the front, you girls on the front, just turn around and look around. We've got some over here and some in the back. All right? 10 to 18 years old, all right? This is the group for the next couple of minutes here that we're, that we're talking to. I want, I want BK to talk to this group here. You can be seated. So this age is so important. This is the time in your life when you ought to be seeking to find purpose in the kingdom of God, seeking after what is it that God has for me in his kingdom. Um, it's in this age that you can be called to specific ministries. Uh, I was a young teenager when I knew that I was called to preach. You may not always know, but there are some times where you know there's something in you. God is telling you this is your future. But 
seeking to find your purpose, seeking to become a Timothy to some area of ministry, praying, seeking the face of God and looking around and saying, I have a burden to become that. Whatever that may be, there's so many different areas of ministry, but seeking to come up under the tutelage of people that can help to pour into you with whatever ministry that you feel drawn to. It's also a time of you beginning to learn what it means to be a part of the kingdom and to serve in some role, whether that's working in the parking lot, opening a door, beginning to learn an instrument, running media, helping in kids, whatever that is, maybe that's not what you're going to do for the rest of your life, but finding somewhere where you can get your hands in the field and you can begin to work and labor in the kingdom of God. Um, and then also knowing that in this time of my life, I have to decide now what's going to matter. That secular events cannot take priority. That school and homework cannot take priority. It, it has become more, much more popular in this day and age for people to keep their kids home from school because they have big exams the next day or because the homework has just piled up. And if they don't get to it, they're going to get, you know, some sort of grade that is not acceptable to them. But when I was growing up, it didn't matter how much homework you had. It didn't matter what you were doing the next day. If there was service, you were going to be there. And it probably wasn't going to end at 9 p.m., like it often does in this day and age, it might go till 10 or 11 or 12, and you weren't going to duck out early. They weren't going to say, okay, we came, but it's going a little long, so now we do have to go home. Deciding now what is most important, because if you don't get it in you now, if the God of your fathers doesn't become your God now, you're going to look up and be 18 and 19, and, and it's going to be very rare that at that point after you've grown up in this and never really fell in love with it, that you just flip a switch and say, okay, I'm going to love the kingdom and love God now. You're likely to become career-minded. You're likely to just move on and continue to be obsessed with the things of this world. And so right now, in this time of your life, it's about finding what matters, finding the friends that will be godly friends, not the friends that will lead you into the things of this world. It's about making sure that the people that you are conversing with are going to be leading you in the right direction. And it's about being productive with your time and not doing things like trying to date. We don't believe that you should be dating in this time period. One, because you're emotional. And hormonal. Amen. And there's a lot of things that God needs to get in balance. And he needs you to get to a place of maturity. But there's nothing you can do at that age. All you can do is get yourself in trouble. It's not like you can actually make a life decision. And so be productive with that time. Because there will come a day where you do get married and you do have kids and time is going to become more limited. 
So while you've got all summer where you're doing nothing, be in the word of God. While you've got all these years where you don't have to work a job, don't throw yourself emotionally into talking to someone else constantly, but throw yourself into talking to God and developing as that person that can be set up for success at an early age. Amen. That deserves a good hand clap. We love our young people. We love our young people. And it was in this age bracket right here that I felt my call and accepted my call and began to pursue my call and was not perfect in this age bracket here. But somewhere in this age bracket, I started losing friends because I decided I was not going to let people that were not loving the same things that I was loving and pursuing the same things that I was pursuing, I was not going to let them pull me down and me having to, like he's saying, you know, come around uh, when I'm 30, 35 and hoping that something would happen. Make up your mind now. You don't have to be rebellious. You don't have to push your parents away. You don't have to be disrespectful to authority. You, you don't have to fall into that trap. It's a trap. If you are, thank you, BK. If you are 19 years old to 35, would you stand? Yeah. 19 to 35. All right. This is who we're talking uh, this is who we're talking to right here. You may, you may be seated. So when we talk about transition, a lot of times, are y'all still with us? Yeah. We talk about transition. When you go into these different age brackets, it's your purpose from 19 to 35 is not the same as it was from 10 to 18. Your, your thoughts are not the same. Your desires are not the same. And it's important that you understand the moment that you're in and make the most of the moment to prepare you for the next season of your life where that other transition will take place and your priorities will change again. But in this, in this age bracket, you should be positioning yourself to becoming part of the driving force and the passion of the church. You're not 10 to 18 Wisdom is kicking in. You're coming out of the teenage funk. <laughs> you are moving into adulthood. You have a lot of passion and drive. Please use that for the kingdom of God. And then in that, the scripture comes to mind what Paul said. He said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I spake as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away Childish things. In this age bracket from 1935, 19 to 35, please don't let childish attitudes, behaviors, habits, and the interest to keep you living as if you're still a teenager. Become, become the driving force. This is where your solidifying purpose finds yourself. It doesn't take your entire life. Find yourself. Who are you? What do you mean for the kingdom? What do you have to offer? And then look to solidify that purpose in the kingdom of God. This is, this is where you're working uh, in the younger part of this bracket. 
on finding the right mate? You can't find the right mate if you're not the right mate. You have to become who you're supposed to be. You're, you're not, you know, my, I married up. We all married up, okay? But if you're a two, you're not marrying a ten. <laughs> Pay y'all. <laughs> Work on becoming a ten, and you'll marry a ten. As long as you don't lower your standards and get desperate and sell out. Marriage is worth waiting on, but it is not worth living the rest of your life miserable. So finding the right mate, finding the right career, finding the right ministry, finding your place, finding your identity. This is this, is this age group. Right here, and then, and then, of course, as children come, you're working on raising a godly family, but not getting so wrapped up in your family that you can't do anything that doesn't include a picnic or a ball game. Have fun, have a life, but never let recreation and hobbies supersede the greatest purpose and the greatest calling on earth and that's what you mean to the kingdom of God. That's the greatest calling and purpose is, is, what, you, is what you mean to the kingdom of God. And then in this season, learn balance. Learn the balance. Learn a balanced life. Family, career, education, kingdom. Of course, kingdom comes first. Learn how to balance everything in your life. Now, I've stole all of our talking points here. But what I'd like for you to chime in on is Hope has done an amazing job at harnessing the purpose and the power and the passion of millennials. And I'd like for you to comment on that. Yes, sir. Um, let me just say one thing before I hit that, if you don't mind. Yes. And it's just right what he just said. Just, and I say it, we teach it. If you settle, you suffer. Do not settle for Mr. or Mrs. Rome and suffer for the rest of your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. I know a lot of miserable people because they settled and they've been suffering ever since. Now, the, the biggest piece on the millennials and, um, and, I, and, and, and really knowing all those brackets, what a millennial is and all that, we're joking about this age group, 19 to 35. The biggest thing that I want to, to hammer home with you, and which I try to push as much as I can, is two things. Number one, you're not living for you. You're living for those who are watching you. Everything that you do is a, a representation of God. You are a living epistle read of all men. Another thing to please understand, I was your age yesterday. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? That's what it feels like. It happened this quick. 
And so you can waste your time and just play around with this thing and not be where you're supposed to be in God. And you'll look up and want to be there. And now you're not even relevant anymore. Because the, young, the youth are looking at you. Now, they love the ministry, and you guys are a little bit younger than me. But they really, when they want to see somebody that's really happening, they don't say, I don't want to be like Pastor Jackson. You know what they say? The younger ones say, I want to be like Brian or Matthew or, or something like that. Or people who are, are closer to their age. And we do have BK up here that's right there as well. That's what they want to see. Why? Because the world says this. In order to be popular, in order to do that, you got to be like the world. And your difference makes a difference, and they're watching you. There is a generation this coming that will not know God, that knoweth not God. It is not that generation's fault. You've heard me say this before. It is not that generation's fault. It is the preceding generation that failed to continue to tell them before they left the house, when they got up, before they went to bed, about who God is. And you don't tell them just by talking to them. You tell them by living, a living example before them. So in reality, a lot of times it seems like it's unfair because I stay on them. But guess what? I know, I know if they don't work on getting their replacement, the church is over. If you don't work on getting, making sure millennials, if you don't work on being everything you can for God and work on bringing up that next generation, the church will be over. That's what we were talking about, about, about uh, Brother Bright just a minute ago. The fact that he said, so that's his son, yes, but he sold into him. But watch this. There's a difference in a kid that's just willing. I'll do it because I have to. And a kid who will stay up all night long on a keyboard. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's a difference. If you don't, I, that, he, man, he, I mean, I'm with the brothers. He's calling for, hey, can I come play music? I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? Go to bed. <laughs> you understand? But that's a difference. Do y'all hear me? That's what it's going to take. It is not, it's not uncool to live for God. It's not uncool. This world ain't got nothing to offer you. Murder, drug addiction, alcoholism, bad relationships. I don't know about you, but I choose heaven over that any day. Live so the next generation can live. Look when you stood up. You're the church of right now. You're the church of right now. Awesome. 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 I love this. All right. You're already seated. <laughs> if you're between the ages, we have two more brackets. If you're between the ages of 36 and 50. Brother Jones went, oh, you just missed it. Uh, wait a minute. Where's 51? I'll speak to that. We have, we have three more age brackets. <laughs> Brother Jones, there's a place for you in the kingdom. 36 to 50. Everybody stand 36 to 50. Okay. I'm looking around. Just stay standing for just a minute. Some of y'all don't want to admit it. You better admit it now because the, the next one's older. 
All right, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. All right. You can be seated. Brother Clark is 41 years old. Is that right? Really close to that, yeah. Like uh, almost 41. Uh, 41. Right? So talk to us. Yeah. I am. Um, how'd I get to be in this age bracket? <laughs> Overnight. I know. I'm with Pastor Jackson, man. I was just here. You're all his age earlier. But uh, all right. So the first thing when we were discussing this, right, I, I immediately said, this is like, Transition, transition, transition. Um, you know, in this age, if, if, if you know, um, you know, if you're like me, I, I, I've, I've seemingly have gone from a family of five to a family of four overnight, and that's no knock on my oldest son, Micah, just you know, entering adulthood. So it's just like you know, starting to start, you start looking at life or a lot more reflectively at at this age, at this age. At some point in time, if you have kids, they're gonna start you know, transitioning out of, out of your house. Um, I have colleagues that are talking about what their retirement plans are, and I realize they're only like a couple years older than I am, and they're starting to figure out what that is going to be like, and that doesn't seem possible to me that I'm anywhere close to that age from secular job at least. Um, so there's just a lot of transitions in your life at this age. Maybe you're buying a house or you're getting a bigger house or whatever, all those different things are going on, and there's just... Every so many months, there's just a there's just a new transition happening in your in your life, um, and and so this is the, the age, you know, the the the, uh, the yeah. The thing is, this is this midlife midlife thing, right? And the everybody, this is everybody's you know time for the, the quote unquote midlife crisis, um, and, and 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 it could be easy in this age bracket to start thinking about. Maybe I haven't done everything that I thought I was, I was going to do at the age when I was in my 20s. And I, you look at things, you say, well, I thought I was going to be at, at, this, at this spot. Maybe you're further along. Maybe you're not as, as far along as you thought you were going to be. Or maybe if you're like me, I'm in a completely different career than I ever thought I would be. I was always going to be a middle, middle school math teacher and nowhere near that job now. And so, you know, you, you, you're in this midlife section of this. And you can kind of wallow on that. It could be easy in our humanity to, to say, hey, this is, this is um, not going the way that I thought it could. But I, as I always tell my own boys is that I, I don't have time for the hypothetical. Being hypothetical gets you nowhere. And in this age bracket, we got to make sure that we're not worried about what could have been or what should have been or whatever. We have to look at where we're at now, where does God want us to be, and how are we going to get there? Now the good thing is at this age, at this age group, is that you know we are starting to um, become very comfortable in our own skin. You know, I've experienced enough life now that there's not too many things that truly catch me off guard. Now people always will surprise you um, at what they will do and how they react to things, but for the most part, I'm really starting to feel comfortable where I know, oh yeah, this, I, I've experienced something similar to this before, and I know how to handle it. And so you can start to feel comfortable in your own skin in this, in, at this age bracket. And that should be a, a comfort because we have got to, to show the young people that, that you can keep living for God throughout your entire adulthood. Right? That we can be that stabling force for the church. If the age group before us is the driving force of the church, then we have the opportunity to be this, the stabilizing force of the church. And, and that wasn't in our notes. It's just when I just you know feel it to say right now, 
And so, and the way that we can do that is because we can become the teachers of that next generation. You know, while, no, we're not necessarily the rock stars of the, of the younger generation that the kids want to look up to, but we can, however, bring people under our wings and begin to help teach them, to show them, hey, here's how I handled that. Uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a few people who have come to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm going through this. I'm looking at this career. I'm looking at this. And you know, what was that like? And, and I, 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 I'm glad and feel blessed to have somewhat of an answer for how I have faced the situations and how I've overcome them or how I've you know, worked my way through it. And so that's, that is that um, opportunity that we have. While, yeah, we can look back and see where we, where we could have been, where we should have been, we handle all these transitions. But the blessing is, is that we are a stabilizing force in the church, whether that's in our giving, whether that's in our participation, or whether that is in teaching of, the, of that next generation. We are an important cog in the wheel of, 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 of the church in this age group. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love the, the part about the stabilizing, the stabilizing force. I, w- I will say this about 36 to 50. At 36, you're, you're actually moving into your second phase of your prime. Somewhere around 30 years old, your prime begins. And I know some of you younger people think, man, that's over the hill. Watch your mouth. That's, that's not over the hill. That's just getting started. And, and then when, you, when you're hitting 35 and 36 and 37 years old, it's like he's talking about there, there's some things that you've tried and proven and, and things, and you know most of what works and what doesn't. And you are entering into this place where you still have good physical agility. You still have that drive and that passion. But you have wisdom that you didn't have in your in your 20s and, and of course, in your teens. And so between 36 and 50, th- there needs to be uh, that voice that, uh, and, you know, you're able to keep p- pace with millennials, but you just should have a little bit more wisdom than that. Now, the point we're trying to emphasize, and we're not done yet, okay? We're going all the way up. But the point we're trying to emphasize with, with all of this is that at every phase of your life, you have something to do for the kingdom of God. And if you're not, if you're not intentional about it, you'll miss it. If you're younger and you're waiting for your opportunity, you're going to miss it. If you're middle-aged and you think you missed your opportunity, you are going to miss it. You never miss your opportunity. It is never too late to go back and do what you didn't do but if you sit and waller about what should have happened by now and just get better at life you you will miss the greatest time of your life now when you hit 51 hello that's me when you hit 51 there is something even greater that begins to take place for all of you that think anything with a five on it is just like it's over the poor pastor up there, man, he's, just, he's fixing to wither away. It's just over for him. No, no. I've entered into a new phase. I talked with Josh about it at, at lunch today. If you're 51 to 60 years old, would you stand? 51 to 60. 
Now, Pastor Jackson could help me on this in a minute because he's in his, in his 50s. You can be seated. Brother Shelton and I were talking, and he, he's, he's one year ahead of me. Uh, now, I act like he's about 10 years ahead of me that way. I don't feel as old as him. But, but when he turned 50, it wasn't but a few months, and we were on the phone one day. I said, how does it feel to be 50? He said, you know what? It's bliss. I said, is it? He said, yeah. He said, on my 50th birthday, I stopped caring. <laughs> I said, tell me more. <laughs> I got one more year. He said, you just, you just stop caring. You stop caring about what people think. You stop caring about failing. You stop, you stop caring about what has happened, what hasn't happened, what's going to happen, what might not happen, what could happen, what should have happened. You, you stop caring about the, the, the distractions that you've had up until this time. And, and you just say, man, I'm, I'm 50. Let's go. Let's, what, what's next? So in this season here, there are limited distractions there are things you try to worry about that you can't worry about anymore. There's, there's things that, you know, you try to get frustrated over, and it's just, it's just not there anymore. Like, what, what do I care? <laughs> I'm 50, okay? So, you know, 51. And, um, and it's important that you understand that that calm, now I'm only speaking for myself. Maybe he can tell me I'm way off base, but that that calm that starts to develop in you in your 50s is able to cause you to deal with many things that are tumultuous in a, in a more calm and, and thoughtful way, understanding that it always works out in the end. Now, that's not to mean you don't have any frustrations, but you start to learn in your 50s, like my word, we've, we've been through 70,000 rodeos. We've, we've had... 48,000 storms. We've had things look like they were falling apart at the seams and all that. I'm not, see, I'm not even worried about the babies crying over there. Two years ago, I'd have been going, hey, somebody needs to take the baby out. But I'm not even worried about I'm, I'm kidding, Sister Erica. Give Sister Erica a good hand. She's a great mom. That was not, that was not a sideways jab. I, went, I really was saying I don't even care about the baby. But two years ago, I'd have been going, okay, I'm going to stop talking until the baby stops crying. But no, but, but there is really a calm that starts to come and, and a security. And, and you feel in your 50s, I got my feet on the ground. I got my feet on the ground, and I'm going to spend the rest of the days that I have left here, and hopefully that's a few decades, I'm going to spend the rest of my days doing what's meaningful. I'm not going to waste time. I'm not going to invest in things and people that, that are not going to return something to me because I, I don't have time to do that anymore. And I'm not, I'm not going to be flippant about life. Everything about life now is important. It's important. Everything is important. So the things that we could have dismissed earlier, we don't dismiss anymore because we're we're in our 50s. And so the older we get from this 36 on up to our 50s, and then in just a moment we'll get to 60 or 61 and above, 
this stabilizing force that starts at 36, and it's not that you can't be a stabilizing force before that, but the older you get, the more responsibility you have to be unmovable and unshakable and to speak in the affirmative and assure people that they will succeed, that they, they will make it, the enemy will not win. We survive because of the goodness of the Lord, and you will make it, and all things work to the get, and together, and the Lord is grooming you, and, and, you know, those things. Those things are the words that people, that's the voice of wisdom. And so I want you to comment on what it's, how old are you, Brother Pastor Jackson? Well, I'm a day or two older than you. <laughs> 58, so I'm at the top, the, the top end of this category. Um, he's exactly right. I, my, my, my kids get on me because of the grandkids. You never let us do that. Yeah, I cared then. <laughs> Not sin, but yeah, they, why? <laughs> but they leave it on. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the energy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight with them over that stuff. Just, they're going to smile anyway and I'm going to milk. No, it, you know, it is what it is. In reality, the one thing that I, I will say that happens as we begin to mature, and I like that word a lot better than getting old, uh, is that uh, sometimes the enemy will whisper, like our flesh will whisper, a new ache, a new pain. And then we'll begin to feel like our value is decreasing. New people come in. They have more energy. Well, the Bible already covered that, folks. He calls the young for they're strong and the old because they're wise. Please, listen, I, nobody's trying to hurry up and get old. But if I'm going to get older, I want to be wiser. And I want to make room for the next people. Again, everything is about teaching. And as long as a teacher has a student, you're doing all right. And you've got a whole room of them in here. These are students. And so when you look at that, you're saying these are people who are going to carry this torch to the next level. And so you don't let down. You don't, you, don't, you don't bend to it. You keep pressing. And you're right. Example is what this is about. Living an example before people. Don't listen to the voice. You know, I, um, speaking of that, I had a sister that I know, and I won't, don't ask me from where, um, that the church started growing, and she was older, not quite my age, but older in the church, and new people started coming in, and new people, and the church started growing a little bit, and she says, okay, now I can rest, and I said, sister, you're missing the whole point. How can you rest? If we're in the boat rowing together, more people just made it heavier. We can't allow you to stop rowing. You need to continue to row so that we can get to where we're going. Because if everybody has that attitude, you understand? Then now all of a sudden you got a bunch of sitters and some young folk getting burned out saying, I'm not doing this no more. You see? So we're not trying to get to the finish line to, to rest. I run the race. I finished the course. Are you hearing me? So my goal is never to stop. There's no retirement in what we do. 
there's no retirement in this. We do this till the day we die. I heard Bishop say that today. I was excited. I said, he said, I'm going to die in the pulpit. I said, glory, let's do it together. Not on the same day. But <laughs> you understand? There's no retirement in this. Amen. So good. So good. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this, and we'll have some closing comments. 61 and above. Man, look at that. Look at that. Would you please give our elders a good hand? Stay standing if you can. <laughs> stay standing for a minute. Okay, if you're not 61 and above, no, stay standing if you're 61 and above. All right, look around. Look around. All right. You can be seated. I want to tell you something. Since I was a child, this age group right here is the one that impacted me the most. One of my favorite Sunday school teachers, Sister Cooper, I don't know how old she was, but I was small, so as far as I was concerned, she was 140. But she was up there. And I can't tell you a lot about the lessons in Sunday school that she taught because I was little. But I can tell you who she was. This age bracket right here to me is the most essential to the church because of what it says is I, I've been in this for decades and you've come too late to tell me <laughs> that this doctrine ain't the only way and that our God will let you down and that miracle, the days of miracles are over and the power of God's not moving anymore because every time, every time you walk in the building and people see you walking in the building, not every once in a while, not just when you feel like it, not just when your knees aren't hurting, just, not just when your back's not hurting, not, not just when your arthritis isn't flaring up, but every time the doors are open, the pillars are walking in the building. And everybody from every age bracket looks around and says... I want whatever it was that they got a hold of, however many years ago it was, that has kept them in this place and caused them to be so unshakable. I want that. And what it says is, what it says is they have something in them that refused to quit. Knowing you had every reason to quit. Knowing ever you had every reason to slow down. You had to, you know, quit praying. I can just kick it back and I can, what, retire? And I don't, I don't have to pray anymore. My dad used to preach in a church in De Quincey, Louisiana. Prophet of God there, H.L. Bennett. And I believe he was, he was near 90, maybe 90 years old, maybe a little bit more when he 
when he died, still pastoring the church. Now, don't worry. We'll transition before then. But that, that man with his Coke bottle glasses, literally, that would sit up there and look like Mr. Magoo, just slumped over, fall asleep. And I'm looking as a kid in that church, and there's 300 strong buildings packed out. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, now why is a man that old still pastoring this church? They'd sing, and they'd do all their stuff. And he'd get up at one point in that service. BK's mother grew up in this church. He'd shuffle to the pulpit. He put his hands on the side of the pulpit. You thought he was just going to teeter over any minute. And he'd say, well, let's just praise God. And when he said that, that place would go up in smoke. People would worship, fall out, talk in tongues. They'd start laying hands on, on what are the... And, and we, we would just, as kids, we, we would say, okay, I'm Brother Bennett, and we'd shuffle up and say, let's just praise God, and nothing would happen. Nothing happened. Nothing would happen. But it was something about, he was a prophet of God. Matter of fact, he was William Branham's prophet before whatever. And so, and there's a lot of stories there, but that man walking to that pulpit said to the powers of hell, just him walking to that pulpit, said to the powers of hell, like Caleb, I'm 80 years old, but I'm as strong now as the day when I was given the promise, give me our mountain. Every time he walked to the pulpit, he was serving the devil. Notice, we had revival. We're still having revival. And we're going to have revival. And we're going to keep on tearing down the devil's kingdom. You're going to make the season what you want to make out of it. My bishop is 79 years old. I said it this morning. He's 79 years old. He's traveling full time. He just closed a 13 sequential day revival, 13 days straight in a home missions church in Kansas and drove all the way up there from Houston and all the way back down. And he's got four days of testing, his one-year annual review. 79 is just a number. And he told me not long ago, I said, Bishop, you got to live to at least 100. I'm praying more like 110, 115. He said, brother, I don't know how long I'm going to live. But I know how long I'm going to stay alive. And he said, God being my helper, I'll be preaching when I draw my last breath. You're going to make of this season of your life what you want it to be. There's such a strong 
anointing on the pillars of this church. People that weathered storms before I ever came along. And because of you, this is what's happening. And greater days are ahead. The point being with all of this, everybody's got a purpose. So I say to anybody 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, I don't know how far we go up here. Tell your stories. Open your mouth and tell your stories. Tell about the prayer meetings. Tell about the visitations from God. Tell about the angels and tell about apostolic doctrine and talk to people and, and teach the younger and mold the younger and encourage the younger and tell them never give up. It's going to pay off. Amen. Would you stand? I'm thankful for these men of God up here. Would you give them a good hand? Now, as I've said, this is unique. When I, when I, you don't have to worry about coming next Sunday night and this happening. But this is what the Lord wanted for tonight. And the point is, you're going to choose in every stage of life whether I'm just going to be a part because I'm willing or because I want to. I want to see revival. I want to see daycare started. I want to see campus ministries explode. I want to see youth ministries and children's ministries and campuses. And I want to see it. How many of you want to see it? I want to see it. I want to see it. Yeah. Here, here's what we're going to do. Just, just for about five or ten minutes, I want everybody to come. Push in close, push in close. I don't want anybody down the wall. I don't want our introverts hiding over there. I want the ushers to come. I want people to come out of the media booth. Those of you on live stream, thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much.